Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 37th edition of the PJ Archive. It's a phone interview I did with one of the all-time great entertainers, the American singer and TV star Andy Williams, who sadly died in 2012. This interview took place in the year 2000, when he was promoting a UK tour at the age of 73, after his song Music to Watch Girls By had taken him back into the top 10 of the British charts. I asked Andy if the UK had been important to his career. Always has. My first hit record was Butterfly, and I came over then and promoted the record, and I've always loved London. came over there earlier than that with my brothers and Kay Thompson. We worked at Café de Perry when I was quite young. In fact, I think we followed Noel Coward in there. Wow. If I may just go back to your roots for a minute. You're originally from Wall Lake, Iowa. That's right. When did you last go back there, and how does it compare now to the days of your youth? Well, I went back there about three years ago when they when they declared, I guess is the word, the house where I was born as a national site, I guess. It's an old house. I was born in the same house my mother was born in. The town fixed it up like it w- was when it was first built because it had run down and had aluminum siding put on it and, you know, things changed and it was just kind of a beat-up old house. And they put it back to exactly the way it was when it was first built. And I went back for that. And uh, when I left there, there were 749 people. When I came back, there were 800 people. <laughs> Not so much it different. didn't grow very much. But uh, a little over 7,000, 7,300 or something people showed up for that day. When we came there, and I brought my brothers, two of my brothers, and my sister, and children, and my nieces and nephews, and my own children, and my wife, and my mother-in-law, we all went there. Chartered a plane and picked everybody up, and we went there, and it was a wonderful time. Is the house day. now a museum, then? Well, it's like a museum, yeah. It's called a historical site. Right. You mentioned your brothers and your sister. What are they up to now? Well, my sister, you know, we're all getting older. My sister is, uh, works in real estate with her husband. My brother Bob is retired. He used to be, uh, used to take care of uh, a ranch with horses. My brother Don lives here in Branson, and he's sort of retired, semi-retired. My brother Dick is still working. He's right. He writes music and does commercials and jingles and keeps very busy. Do you ever sing with them anymore? No. Why is that, then? We're not living in the same place, so it's kind of hard to do it. We're not doing Christmas shows again, you know, on television, which is the only time we sang together then, was on that Mm. Christmas show. You obviously started off singing with them. How did they feel about you becoming the big star among them? Oh, they were very happy for me, I'm sure, because uh, I wasn't the reason we broke up. I mean, I didn't leave the group. The group left me. I was born to be a group singer, I thought. My older brother, Bob, had a wife and three children and didn't want to go on the road. We were on the road. And um, he just wanted to get into something else, and he got into real estate and insurance. My brother, second oldest brother, Don, had always wanted to be an actor, and he went to, he was a contract player at, at Columbia Pictures and, and soon got into agenting. He was an agent and manager, managed Ray Stevens, among other people. And, right. Uh, and he's the one talked me into coming down here to Branson. And he is just sort of semi-retired. He's got a couple clients, but not 
was not really actively involved with it anymore. What did your parents do for a living, and how did they feel about you and your brothers going into showbiz? Well, they were the ones who were responsible for getting us in there. My father, we started singing, my two older brothers and my mother and father were the, were the choir in the Presbyterian Church. We had about 11 churches in this little town of 749. And then my brother Dick and I would sing along with him at home when they were rehearsing hymns. And then my father got transferred to, or arranged for a transfer to Des Moines, Iowa, so that we could get on the radio. What was his job, your father? He was a railway mail clerk, which is a man who sorts mail on a train when it's moving and, and drops it off. Uh, as he goes through small towns, he would drive the mailbag swung out and caught onto a hook, and then, you know, they didn't, the train didn't stop. The train would slow down to about five, 15 miles an hour, and they would do that. As far as I can gather, you started in show business at the age of eight. In That's retrospect right. I now... Was in Des Moines, I was in Des Moines on radio station WHO. Do you think now that perhaps it, that, that was a good thing, or did, did it mean you missed out, do you think? No, I don't think I missed out on much, because our, my father arranged the shows that we did were around our school. Um, I mean, we would do the radio shows in the morning, like at 8 o'clock in the morning, or in the evening. And we'd go to school regular time. Never interrupted our schooling. Um, and that was all the way through. We moved to Chicago, went on another radio station called WLS. And then we moved to Cincinnati, went on another station called WLW. And then we moved out to California and did more radio on uh, on the Mutual Broadcasting Company. And then eventually did some movies and got into uh, an act with Kay Thompson, which as I mentioned, brought us one time over to London to the Paris. That was a very famous act in America, a very, very big act. And then when my brothers decided they didn't want to continue with that act, I decided to try and uh, and do it alone. So there was no rancor or no uh, unhappiness by any of my brothers at all because that wasn't my choice anyway. Do you ever wonder what else you might have done with your life had you not gone into show business? You know, it's hard to think of what you would have done. I, I, I'm so interested in art, and always have been. Yeah. Uh, I might have got into some of that, and maybe, probably not as an artist, but maybe as a, an art dealer or something having to do with art. Is it fair to say you were discovered by Bing Crosby? No, that isn't really. You know, my brothers and I were, were not known in California at all. We were quite popular in the cities where we worked and when we came out to california um john scott trotter his musical arranger who did his stuff for for decca records said we've got to get somebody to do this background for you that we did in the movie and yeah. in the movie he sang swinging on a star with a a choir a, a choir a boys choir a catholic boys choir and they weren't available and uh, i guess they were in another state and all that so he had heard about the Williams Brothers and brought us in to, to sing with Bing, and we made this record, which is a, you know, a very big record. A classic, yeah. What was and he like, Bing Crosby? What was he like? Yeah. Well, you must know all, as much about Bing Crosby as I do. Did you not legendary. Get, did you not, yeah, I appreciate that, but did you not get to know him well, is what I mean? I got to know him quite well. Not then, not as a boy, but as a, later on when I had my own television show, and he came on it a few times. And we became good friends, and uh, 
He's a terrific man. I loved him. So it must be heartbreaking when, like, after his death, there was lots of bad publicity about him. That must really upset you, doesn't it? Well, I think it's unfair, you know, and I, I hope that doesn't happen with me, but you never know what they're going to write about you later on. You know. I don't know about his family life. I don't know whether he was, wasn't was a great father to the first uh, group of children he had. I, don't, I didn't know him in that way. But, you know, people write. Sometimes your children write things that, that don't put you in a good light. But from what I knew about him, he was a terrific guy. What did you learn from him professionally? Did he ever give you any tips, for instance? No. No, I was already, you know, other than when I sang with him. When I was sang with him, first time I was about 14 years old. Uh, or 15, maybe. Uh, then I didn't... Uh, you know, I didn't get to know him until, you know, I'm 36. And what is he going to tell me? I'm already sure. successful. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think you became a star? I worked hard. That's one one reason. And I think I was lucky And another. I think uh, sticking to it. There's something to stick-to-itiveness. You know, not giving up. And then I think luck has something to do with... You know, if you're prepared... You know, and, and I was taught by Kay Thompson when I was, you know, in my 20s, or early 20s. I started in the act with her, I think I was 19. You know, that your goal should be the right goal. It shouldn't be making a lot of money and getting a lot of girls and, and uh, you know, running around with fancy cars. That's not the right goal. Well, that was my goal. And uh, she told me that the goal should be to be the best singer you can be and to be better than anybody else and to work hard and that should be your goal and when I suddenly realized that everything changed mm -hmm. because I did become a good singer and I did become I didn't know what I was doing and then I was lucky that I got a break to get on the Steve Allen Tonight Show which is now the you know Jay Leno Tonight Show at what stage did you develop the smooth silky voice you became internationally famous for well I had that anyway I had that since a boy I mean, there's nothing you can... I didn't take any lessons. I didn't learn how to do anything uh, special with my voice. And I sing the same way I talk. And fortunately, I didn't sound like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> when did you realize what a valuable weapon it was, especially in turning women to jelly? Well, I knew that early because, you know, I had fans when I was just starting. I don't, you know, I don't know whether I really appreciate the... You know, the voice like, uh, you know, some outsider would. I've just I've lived with it all my life, and I just... Uh, I know that it's, it's, it sounds different than most people's voices, but I think that's, that's uh, luck, too. You know, I think if, you, if you're lucky enough to sound like yourself and not like somebody else, mm -hmm. you know, there's Frank Sinatra, and then there's Nat King Cole. They don't sound alike, and... Perry Como didn't sound like him, and Dean Martin didn't sound like him. Mel Torme has his own sound, and I have my own sound, and I think you're fortunate if, if you're like that. You know, if you're fortunate enough to have your own kind of sound, distinctive sound. But what's it like to sing a beautiful song and see a woman just go weak at the knees in front of you as a result? Well, it's, it's nice, but I'll tell you what was even stranger and nicer was to come, come over to London two years ago and go on the top of the pops which I did 35 years before and sing a song that I had recorded 30 years ago yeah. and it was now a hit music to watch girls by 
Uh-huh. And they're singing on top of the pops and have girls that are 16 and 20 and 30 years old going nuts. <laughs> that was, I could really see something there. <laughs> when I was growing up and, and singing and, and making my career and all that, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't pay that much attention to girls falling down and stuff. And I knew they did, but uh, not like they did for Sinatra when he was starting and not like they did for even Ricky Nelson or people like that. My, mine was just sort of a gradual growing and my popularity grew and grew and grew and grew but it wasn't an overnight kind of thing like some of some of the others like Presley or, or as I mentioned Ricky Nelson or yeah. a lot of the ones that really are hot hot for you know a while and then some of them sort of fade out so you weren't mobbed by screaming women and found them in your wardrobe and so on well I was uh, you know when I first I played the Palladium in London. I they certainly was screaming all over the cars and stuff. But <laughs> that's not really the kind of things that I remember most. As you said earlier, you had a number one hit with your first record, Butterfly, in 57. How long did you think your career would last then? Who knew? I didn't, you know, I was just happy to get along. Just, after that one, I was just trying to get another one. And then you try and get another one. Try and get another one. You know, you try and build your career just like, you know, any other business. When you first got successful, then, did you think you'd died and gone to heaven, basically? No. No, I was, uh, I was part of a big successful group, the Williams Brothers and Kay Thompson. Yeah. And we made money. And I spent it. And then I, when I started making it again, I was more adult about it. And it was a business to me. I had already been successful in one career, and I was taking another one. So I took, a, I think, a little bit more of a intelligent, sober way of developing a career. Because I had done it before. It wasn't, the first time out wasn't the, uh, the big one that I eventually had. How friendly were you able to become with other artists of that time, of the, of the 50s, 60s, 70s? Well, I don't know how, how friendly, you know, you know, big stars are with each other. You know, I know Dean and Frank were be- great buddies, and so was uh, Sammy and Frank and Dean. But, you know, I don't know whether Perry was great friends with, with Bing or with Dean or anybody, and I don't know whether, you know, you know them and you're friends with them, but you're not, you know, I didn't pal around with most of these people. Well, you know, I pal even... around with Glenn Campbell now, and yeah. I pal around with, you know, Bob Newhart when I was doing television, and... But, you know, everybody has families and they're, on, they're doing their own business and things. And you respect each other and, and you see each other at parties and you may go have dinner with them once in a while. But, you know, my big pals were, were, not in the, were, were not performers. In your day, there seemed to be less artists and more opportunities. Are you glad you belong to that particular era? I don't believe that's true. I don't believe there's less opportunities now and than there was before. It was just as hard when I started as it is for anybody right now. Mm-hmm. No, it was tough. You know, the rewards are great, and everybody wants a piece of it, and some get it and some don't. And, you know, it's, I think it's difficult any time. Your music is real music, which will last forever, whereas a lot of the stuff today is throwaway music, and we won't remember it even tomorrow. Well, that's just a period we're going through, I think. You know, the, the rap music and the hip-hop things, don't have much substance to them. They have a lot of fun to them, and they're um, 
they're not my cup of tea at all, but they they obviously are what the what the teens and younger uh, really like, and it's uh, and it'll develop into something else. And I can't imagine though that when they're 40 years old or 50 years old that they're going to say, "Oh boy, I just can't wait to." get out some of my old records of these rap things. You, of course, went on to have your own highly successful TV show. Did you always aim to be more than just a singer? No. No, I was, my goal was to be the best singer I could be. Um, television came easy to me once I got into it, once I was on the Steve Allen Tonight Show and as a regular and worked on that for two and a half years. I became familiar with what, what the job was and what you do and how you work cameras and the less you do is the, is the better it is and you know all those things that you learn and I became friendly with the camera and, and uh, I wasn't afraid of it and I just uh, tried to be myself a camera if you're yourself the camera will pick it up and uh, like the movies you know you're bigger than life and you don't you don't have to do too many big big things you, what you want to do is to what you hope to do is to come across, in television at least, you mm-hmm. want to come across if you're a perform, you know, singer, or entertainer that way, or a late night host. Even you know, you want to you want to be likable, natural and normal, and because that's what I think people want in their homes week after week, night after night. They don't want the big, great blockbuster guy all the time. Yeah, I learned that from Perry Como. You know, he had the easiest on television of anybody I ever saw. All right. Of all the guests you had on your TV series, who were the most memorable for you? Jonathan Winters was on 28 times. I think he is absolutely a genius. Like Robin Williams, you know, completely different, extemporaneous. uh, He was fun to work with, absolutely great. Who else did you have on your TV show that you, you really enjoyed having? Well, I mean, if you want to go with big names, you know, any of them, Jack Benny, Bob Hope, uh, Bing Crosby, Judy Garland, Ella Fitzgerald, Tony Bennett, Bobby Darren, Eddie Fisher, you know, all the big, big stars. Period of nine years, you do that. And then people say, oh, boy, you must have been great friends with somebody. Well, you, you don't become great friends with somebody in a week. No. You know, or a couple of weeks of, of doing a show, you you have a you develop a mutual respect, I'm sure, and you admire somebody, and then you maybe don't see them for a while. That's the way it is. Is there anybody you never got to meet or work with, but wish you had? There's not anybody that I didn't meet that I wish I had. I can't think of anybody. One I wish that I had worked with was was Sinatra, but he was, other than Dean Martin show, and they were great pals, uh, he didn't do much television, did very little. And what he did was his own specials. He did something once with Gene Kelly, but they were great friends, too, from the movies. No, I didn't work with, uh, although I knew him quite well, but I didn't work with him. I went to his wedding, and I mean, I knew him that well enough to be invited to weddings and have dinner at his house and that, but I, you know, I was a pal of his, like Dean. What about Elvis? Did he do your show? Elvis, I never worked with Elvis, but we were in different things. But I, I liked Elvis very much, and he came back to see me at Caesar's Palace, and we had a great time together. But uh, never worked with him. 
people look upon you know yourself and Frank Sinatra, D. Martin as being the really great. It was the best era we've ever had. Do you think it really was? Really was what the best. The greatest era, era of, of music and singing. For the kind of music that we were doing, yeah, it was the best. And uh, what I say we were doing that that style of pop music that you know most of us were were all in that same kind of style of ballads and and pop swinging things and you know yeah they were the best was it the best time for you in your life yeah i think it was because television was newer then it was very exciting and i got involved in it from every angle of it of my show and it was long and hard and uh, and i loved it and my children were growing up then and i it was just a great it was a great time and i success is always fun and i was having great success with records then too yeah and um, yeah it was a wonderful time in my life how much credit do you take for discovering the osmonds all <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's no other credit can be given to anybody but me mm -hmm. they appeared on the walt disney show but Walt Disney had nothing to do with it I mean, it was an amateur show from from Disneyland my father saw them and brought them in to me and said you put them on the show and I said yes sir and that was it and then they grew you know over a period of six years on my show yeah they grew into dancers and musicians and they could do anything and they were terribly talented oh, yeah. very very disciplined and they just learned and grew so quickly you know and over a period of six years I was the one that told him, well, why don't you get some instruments and, you know, be more like the Beatles instead of yeah. this barbershop stuff. And they said, okay, Mr. Williams. And they went out and got instruments and learned how to play it. And in six months, they were they were good. They were terrific. But, I mean, I don't think that you can give anybody else responsible for, you know, say they're responsible for their, their beginning or their, their success. I mean, my show was, and the people on the show that worked with them, like George Weill, taught them how to sing tight harmony and, and they could learn it the nick castle taught them how to dance and the musicians on the show taught them how to play their instruments and you know they really learned on the andy williams show am i right in remembering you having a bear who ate cookies on your tv show oh, sure two what? years we had a bear what was the story behind that i did like seven years of adult kind of andy williams shows and then the last two years were more like a younger kind of Andy Williams show it was completely different. It was uh, more like laugh-in with music. The sets were all cartoon kind of sets, and we had a little midget on the show who kept hitting me in the knee, and he had, it was like a German helmet on. And we had, you know, the flying guy. You know, and, you know, it was just craziness, and it was fun, and it was for a younger audience. It went on at seven thirty instead of nine at night, and it was. Uh, the songs that I sang were more hip, more current music, and we had people like Elton John on that show. And, All right. And, uh, you know, some of the younger artists. It was a great show. And then, and then we had the bear. The bear was always trying to get a cookie from me, pretending he was somebody else. <laughs> Girl Scout. Yeah. Selling cookies. And uh, he had run out. Oh, girl, right. and she, could I spare a cookie? And I said, no, not ever, never, and screaming at the bear, and the bear would fall down. <laughs> and that was every week. We'd have him on, and sometimes Bob Hope would be on, and he would go, he'd answer the door, and the bear would ask him for a cookie. or You know, it, it just went on and on and on. It was funny. Did Obviously, you, we thought it was funny. 
did you ever have any ambitions to become an actor or movie star? No. I did one movie with Sandra Dee and Robert Goulet and Marie Chevalier called I'd Rather Be Rich. And it was good. It was, it was fun to do, but it took like three, three and a half months. And I was doing the weekly television show, and we were doing, we were doing the equivalent of a movie in two weeks. And I liked doing live television better than doing the movies. I never did any more. You had... I didn't have time really to do everything. I was doing records, and I was doing the television show, and I was doing, uh, you know, concerts and stuff, and I'd go on tour with Henry Mancini and the big band, and we'd have the Osmond Brothers with us. And I was having a wonderful time. I didn't want to go back and do another movie. Did you turn down any major roles that went to other no, actors? I did not turn down the, the uh, Young Lions, or I didn't turn down Red River, or any of those things. No, <laughs> I didn't. I turned down a lot of lightweight things, you know, like Doris Day movies and things like that. But mm. I didn't want to do them. You had hit records here, at least in the, in the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s, but why not the 80s? I don't know. There's a period of time when you don't, we don't have hit records. I didn't have them here either. Was the theme from Godfather hit over there? I don't know. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, those were sort of the last ones that I had hits on. That and um, Love Story and things like that. Uh, first of all, I stopped recording for, for Columbia during that period in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, I made a few other albums for different companies, and some of them were big and, and some of them weren't. And then I have had a resurgence of of my music and certainly in England and some over here younger people are beginning to discover Tony Bennett and Johnny Mathis and Andy Williams and Tom Jones I mean, a young generation that never knew us before and that's kind of nice and I think maybe rap music is is responsible for some of that because there are young people who don't like the rap stuff and they have gravitated more towards country music which has turned into pop uh, I mean, you really can't call Faith Hill a country singer. She's no. singing pop. Do you wish you'd written your own songs? No, I don't care. I was uh, no, I was I was brought up in a generation before all the good everybody playing guitar and and writing their own songs. It was a period like you know we had music publishers and we had songwriters and and then we had singers and people music publishers got songwriters music to singers and the singers would do it. And that was the way it was done. And, and later, you know, the Beatles changed a lot of it. And in Europe, it changed much much sooner than it did in England. I mean, in, in France, all of the singers were writing their own things, like Charles Aznavour and, and uh, the ones even before him. And everybody was writing their own material and doing their songs. And the same thing happened then in England, and it, and it certainly happened in America. Until that time... Everybody wasn't a songwriter. Everybody, you know, most people were just singers. As you said earlier, you recently became fashionable again thanks to a Fiat car commercial. How much of a surprise was that? It was a complete surprise. It wasn't just the Fiat. There was another car company that did... The first one, I don't think it was a Fiat. I think, or maybe it was, but it was... Um, I, I uh, can't take my eyes off you. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And then the next one was uh, Music to Watch Girls by, and they both happened within a year and a half, I think, of mm. each other. And they were both popular, but I think maybe the most popular one is uh, Music to Watch Girls by. Did you get a free car as a result? <laughs> no, I didn't get a free anything, <laughs> except we sold a lot of records. <laughs> How
how do you feel now about your old hit records? Are you bored of them, or do you have different favourites now? No, I, you mean the old ones? Yeah. Well, the real old ones, you know, like Butterfly. I never did like Butterfly very well, because that wasn't what I wanted to do. I'm, uh, but record producer said, you want a hit record? Or the guy who owned the company, Archie Blyer. I said, yeah. He said, well, this is a hit record. I said, but that isn't the way I sing. He said, well, then you don't want to hit record. Uh, I said, no, I want to hit record. So I, you know, I made that record. What about Moon River and Can't Take Moon My Eyes Moon River, I love. Yeah. That was, that was more the way I sing. And Can't Take My Eyes Off You? I like that. Can't Get Used to Losing You? Love that. Yeah. No, they were, you know, but you tell me you love me. You say you do. That was more Elvis Presley than me. <laughs> You have your own theatre now in, in Branson, Missouri. I do. It's a beautiful theatre. Yeah, and the Osmonds have one just down the road, don't they? Yes. Do you, do, do you still perform with them occasionally? No. They work in their theatre, I work in mine. Why is that? I'd have thought you'd quite enjoy it. Well, we yeah. might enjoy it, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, their shows are at the same time mine are, you know. All right. They're doing well, I'm doing well. We don't, we don't work together. Mm -hmm. What's um, the greatest tribute you've ever been paid, do you think? Well, the most startling was uh, President Kennedy on a show that I was on. It was Christmas at Washington, which I was sort of hosting, I think. And he said, Andy Williams, I think we're going to have to uh, declare your voice a national treasure. Oh. And I didn't hear that until he said it. I mean, I didn't, it wasn't in any script or anything. It was just, and it just floored me, especially yeah. since he said it in front of Dionne Warwick and... Uh, Who's the Spanish guy that's so popular? Julio Iglesias? Yeah. Right. So that was that Reagan or Kennedy? That was Reagan. Reagan, I thought so. I liked Reagan very much. But did you ever fancy going into politics? No, no, no. Why is that? Why? Mm. <laughs> Why go into politics? Take well. a cut and pay? <laughs> that's true. No, I mean, I just was never interested in politics. I have too many things under the rug, too, that I never would have made it. You've won many awards in your career. What have you done with them all, and which one means most? Well, I never have any of them in my house, that's for sure. And since I have a theater, they're all in the, the gift shop in the theater, just displayed up on the walls. A lot of people like to see them, but... Why wouldn't you have them in your house? Because I have good art in my house. Are you not terribly proud of them, then? I'm very proud of the Emmys. Has any award... Those are in my dressing room. Mm -hmm. The three Emmys that I have. They're on my piano. I like those. But I don't... I'm not one to hang up uh, plaques. I don't have any plaques anywhere. Never have. Except when I built this theater. Then it's nice to have plaques somewhere where... You know, if they... It's a ticket counter when people are buying them and they see your plaques and they see some gold records and... But that's kind of business. But I don't... I don't, uh, no, I don't hang them up or show them. Has any award or achievement alluded you to your regret? Well, no, not to my regret. I haven't had an Oscar, but I never made a movie except one. So I can't expect to have that. So I don't regret that. Do you think you've been given the credit that you deserve? I think I should have had a, at least an, uh, an, a Grammy nomination for Love Story because I thought that was a great record. But, you know, the uh, Rolling Stones didn't get a winning Grammy either. Which parts of the world are you most popular in? I'm most popular in the United States, 
in England, Japan, Australia, uh, and then the rest is just split up all over the world. You know, my television show was in all of the everywhere, uh, mostly for nine years the whole time. So I'm well known, or was well known, through television and then also through records. You've been over here a lot, as you said before. Do you have any um, memorable meetings with royalty, British royalty? I enjoyed meeting the Queen Mum, Queen Mother. Right. When I did a, a command performance. And uh, Princess uh, Margaret. Princess Margaret. And Lord Snowden, who I, I met again here in the States when he came over to my table at a, when I was eating in a restaurant and said, May I have your autograph? <laughs> My secretary, who is in love with you. I said, you sure can. How do you feel about our British royalty? Are you as enamored as most Americans? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful institution. You know, we don't really know the Queen and, uh, and Philip, and uh, we don't, the way that you do. You know, you get it every day. We get it in mm. People Magazine here a little about Prince William. Everybody adored uh, Diana. Yeah, in America, and I'm sure in, all over the world. But she was the closest that we came to feeling like we were close to to the royal family. Have you ever considered living in Britain? No, because it's too cold. <laughs> Is that the only reason? Well, I love London. I really do. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's a beautiful country. I like visiting there, but I like the United States too. What can you tell us of your present homes? Well, I have one here in Branson, which is really pretty. Mm -hmm. My favorite house I've had. Or one, I should say one of the two or three that I've had. That I, I love it. It's a, it's a French country house. It's on the water. It's, a, it's in a, a wonderful piece of property because it's, a, it's like a little peninsula. And the back part of the house, the, the porches, I mean the verandas, if you want to call them, are facing the lake. And the front of the house is facing a golf course. It has a wall all the way around it, and it's uh, very private. How much uh, of a show business life do you lead now? None. Really? No. I do two shows a day, mm -hmm. and uh, I go home when it's over. I come to, the, uh, I come to my theater. I've got a, a dressing room that's like a very large apartment, and I live here ten hours a day. Where do your children live now, and what do they do for a living? One of my, uh, my oldest boy lives in Costa Rica. He's got a uh, wife and two children. He's been there for about nine years. He loves it. My other boy, the youngest boy, uh, lives in L Laguna, California, and he's got a business called Four Leaf, Four Leaf Entertainment. And they do all kinds of things, but they're... Their main thing that they started with were, was extreme sports. And they film a lot of that stuff. They, they put on sports programs, you know, in Vegas and things, in different places with extreme sports and uh, put out videos and things of these crazy people who do that. My daughter lives in uh, Calabasas, California, which is Los Angeles, has three kids and is a uh, soccer mom. How difficult has it been for them to grow up in your shadow? I hope not at all. You know, we had a very, up until the time that I got a divorce at least, a very happy, you know, childhood for them. 
And then after we, I was divorced uh, and separated first for years. Yeah. And then divorced, we, uh, my wife Claudine was uh, always very generous with her talk with, with the children about me, and I was the same. You know, we never had any unpleasantness at all. And the kids were brought up just without a father around all the time, but I saw them a lot, you know, in the summer, and yeah. I saw them a lot, you know, some at Christmas and around there, but I didn't want to interrupt their school. I didn't want to be back and forth kind of parent, and uh, Claudine did a very good job bringing them up, and they're normal and nice kids. You're still friends with Claudine? Very much. And tell us about Debbie, your current wife. She's a bit younger than you, isn't she? Yes, she's 45. She gets along very well with my ex-wife, with mm -hmm. Claudine. In fact, the last time we uh, were together was when we, my son from Costa Rica came up with his family. And we all met in California and had a big time together. And Claudine was there with her husband, and I was there with, with Debbie. And ended up Debbie and Claudine were holding hands and skipping around together and we were getting along just fine. How confident are you that this marriage will last forever? Who knows? I hope it does. It's a very good marriage. It's, we're very happy. We have three, uh, three dogs. We have a nice house, nice life. And it's getting better because uh, I've decided to cut way back on working. Because mm -hmm. I've worked all my life, hard. And when I couldn't work last year because of my throat, I uh, discovered a new new way of living, which is not working. It's <laughs> fun. But I also realized that I wanted, I didn't want to retire. I didn't want to stop singing altogether. So I decided that I would work in my theater September, October, November, and half of December and then not work at all other than that. You've always had a very clean-cut, immaculate image. Has that ever been difficult to live up to? Not at all. That's the way I am. Life appears to have always been as easy for you as your voice and personality. Is that the case? No, I've had some rough spots. The thing with my ex-wife in Colorado was a very troubling time, and I've had a lot of ups and downs. I had a terrible time getting started singing after I broke up with my brothers and Kay Thompson. That was a real tough thing to do, to start, you know, at 20 to start, try to start a career singing alone, which I never thought about doing. And it was, it was very difficult. And I've had, uh, you know, good times and bad times, most of them good. Do you think you ever will retire, or do you think you will just carry on performing? No, I don't think I'll ever retire completely. Right. And because I have this theater that I love to death, it's a great, it's a beautiful theater. It's the only theater ever uh, shown in Architectural Digest. How physically fit are you now? I'm great. I'm in good shape. My throat was the, the only problem I've ever had, really. And that was a node that I developed while singing through a, through a laryngitis period. When I had laryngitis so mm -hmm. bad I couldn't talk. And I, and I still sang, and I developed this node... As I told you, it eventually went away after a year. Do you want to live to a ripe old age? I want to live to a healthy old age. I don't want to, if I get unhealthy and sick or in pain, I don't, I don't want to live, I don't want to just keep living when you're not functioning well, no. How satisfied are you with your life and career so far? Very much. You know, I wish that I spent more time with my children when they were growing up. Uh, instead of working all the time, because I was, as I mentioned before, doing television 
and uh, the records on weekends, making, I made three albums a year. And I would go out on the road the minute that we were not doing those. And I didn't see much of my children, and I, I regret that. I wish I had not worked in the summer, at least. How would you like to be remembered after you're gone? I don't really care. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not that concerned about what people think about me. My friends know me. My family knows me. I think my fans... I hate to use that word, my fans. But I think people who who like my, my performances, my singing and stuff, and know me, will remember good things. I don't think there's any terrible things that I've done. And I don't care what other people think. If somebody writes bad things about me when I'm gone, it'll be unfortunate for my children to hear, but other than that, it's not going to affect me in the least.